If you're new, I want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, we finally have Bibles over here. We haven't had them in the last few weeks, so if you're uh, waiting for a Bible, go ahead and grab one after service. But tonight, we're going to conclude our series on worship. So to start, I just want to make the point that all of us worship. Atheists, agnostics, Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, pagans, we all worship. Every human being worships. It's, it's part of what it means to be human. Even if you didn't uh, just get into the time of musical worship, you worship. It's something you do every single day. You may not be worshiping Jesus, but every day we're worshiping. Because worship is simply adoring uh, something or someone. It's, it's simply showing, showing reverence to someone or something. It's, it's uh, simply making something the top priority in your life. And every day we worship different things or people. And for me, I've worshiped my whole life. I, I'm no different than any of you. I've always worshiped. Even when I was disconnected from God, I, I was a passionate, or passionate worshiper. So when I was a little kid, I worshiped sports. I loved the game of baseball. I loved it so much. I remember on game days, I would watch the weather from the time I woke up all the way until the game to make sure it wasn't going to rain. I was so worried it would rain and my game would get rained out. I was willing to play rain or shine, and even when we did get to play, I was willing to fight it, or fight it out with other teams, right? Like I had so many rivalries in elementary school about baseball. I had kids I hated with a passion because they were on other teams. I loved baseball. And then when I got to middle school, I traded baseball for girls, and I loved girls a lot. And I wanted to be popular, and I would do whatever it took. If I had to grow my hair out, which was cool back then, then I would grow my hair out. If I had to dye it blonde, which was also cool back then, then I would dye it blonde. And also, where is he at? Elisha dyed his hair blonde. It looks really good. You're a stud. But anyways, I was willing to do whatever it took to get the girls to like me. And then in high school, I began to worship academics and success. I had to be number one in my class. I had to be number one. If I wasn't number one, then I failed. That was my mindset. I had to be valedictorian. And I would stay up all night if I had to studying because being good in school was so important to me. And then even when I got to college and even when I got right with Jesus, I worshiped something else or someone else. I worshiped my wife, Emily. She was the most important thing in my life. I spent every day with her. From the time I woke up, I'd go over, meet her, we'd grab breakfast, go to class, come back together. I'd spend all day together. The point is, I've always worshiped, and, and so have you, even if you're not worshiping Jesus well. Because, because worshiping is intrinsic to being human. So the question is not if we're going to worship. The question is who are we going to worship? And that's what this series has been about. Each of you came in here tonight with different stories and struggles, but the one thing that is definitely universal across this room is we are worshipers by birth. And there's a spiritual war for your worship. Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, the God of the universe, is fighting for your worship. And Satan... Our enemy and the evil one is also fighting for your worship, and he'll take it any way he can get it. If he can get you to worship your girlfriend, if he can get you to worship uh, sports or anything, Je or Satan just wants you not to worship Jesus. There is a spiritual war for your soul. Every day when you wake up, Jesus and Satan are getting ready to fight for your worship. It's the reality. 
And Jesus fights for your worship by bringing you to places like this, by putting Christian friends in your life that are challenging you and encouraging you in your faith. And Satan will fight for your worship by putting things in your life that are very good things, right? Like, like school is a good thing. A boyfriend or girlfriend can be a good thing, not always. He'll put good things in your life, but then he'll uh, try to convince you to make that thing an ultimate thing in your life. Yeah, so tonight what I want to do is conclude our series called Sound of Heaven. And this series has been uh, specifically talking about uh, this idea of coming together and singing songs to the Lord. So uh, the aspect of worship uh, that we call our musical worship, okay? That's what it's been about. And we're going to talk about that uh, uh, specifically, but also just the idea of worshiping Jesus with our lifestyles. Because uh, my firm conviction is I want to be a community of people who are passionate passionate about Jesus, and so in love with him, we want to lay it all out for him, whether it's in song, whether it's in our lifestyles, I don't care what it is, I believe that God has called Chi Alpha to be a community that gives it, or gives him everything we have in worship. And our hope has been throughout this series that as we unpack what authentic biblical worship is, why we worship, and how we worship, the hope has been that the temperature of our worship on Tuesday nights would go up, and it has. It's been incredible to see. We preached like two sermons and I feel like it's already starting to work, which is great. I can sense a change in the atmosphere because the thing that can happen is if we aren't careful, our worship can grow cold. And I sensed that in our community before we started this series, if I'm honest with you. I sensed that it was growing a little cold, that we're going through the motions. And I believe that every Tuesday night that God wants us to raise the temperature in this room. Like last week was hot, right? It was really warm in here, and it was because of our worship. No, I'm kidding. It was actually just the heat was on, and it was warm outside. But point is, we want to raise the temperature of our worship because I want every Tuesday night to be an authentic encounter with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in our worship and our preaching. And tonight, we're going to con- conclude our series by taking a look at John chapter 4. And the title of the message is Spirit and Truth. And throughout this entire sermon, I'll rely on a book called Creature of the Word, okay? So uh, there's quite a bit of things in here that are not my own, and I'll try to cite it when I can. But the point is tonight we're going to be talking about spirit and truth and how the key to seeing the temperature raised in our community and our worship is worshiping in spirit and in truth, okay? So John chapter 4, I want to give you some background about John 4 because to really understand this story, we have to know who the characters are in it. And in this story, we have Jesus. Okay, I hope you know who Jesus is. If you don't, I'm glad you're here. I can tell you about him. But there's Jesus, and then there's a Samaritan woman, okay? And these two people encounter each other at a well. Okay, so Jesus, God in the flesh, and then a Samaritan woman. And this encounter was highly unusual for a few reasons. First, the Jews and the Samaritans, because, you know, Jesus was a Jew. Like, Jesus wasn't a white guy with blonde hair. Or the picture you've seen at your church of him on the wall, that's, Jesus does not have blue eyes. He was a Jew who lived in the Middle East. Okay, so there's Jesus, and then there's the Samaritan. And Jesus was a Jew, and she was a Samaritan, obviously. And they did not get along. They uh, did not typically interact with one another, because Samaria was the name for the northern kingdom of Israel. And then Judea, which were the full Jews, was the name for the southern kingdom of Israel. And at the time of Jesus' life, they weren't separate kingdoms anymore, because Rome had conquered them. and was ruling them. If you show the map here, you can kind of see Samaria. It's the green part. There's Samaria and then Judea, okay? And so Judea, where Jesus was born, was able to stay fairly true to God 
in their faith. But the Samaritans had intermarried with foreign people, and they developed their own religious heritage that had kind of strayed from the original Jewish faith. And the Samaritans even erected a, a rival temple at, at Mount uh, Gerasim in 400 B.C., even though Jerusalem was supposed to be God's holy city, they said, we're going to make our own temple, okay? And by the time that Jesus came on the scene in the first century, the Jews would not interact with the Samaritans. As they viewed the Samaritans as children of political rebels and racial half-breeds, whose religion was tainted by various unacceptable elements, okay? So this was unusual that Jesus would talk to this woman. That's the point I'm making. And not only did they have religious differences, but at this time it was unusual for a man to interact with a woman in public. Okay, so there's that piece of it. And then the final thing that's unusual about this interaction is that it happens at noon. Okay, so in this part of the world, it's very hot at noon. Okay, so people don't go out to the well to draw water at noon. Instead, they go out in the morning or in the evening. But this woman came out at noon because she wanted to avoid the crowd. The point is, she was an outcast, okay? This woman was an outcast even amongst the Samaritans. All right, so I want to pray, and then we're going to read this passage, and we're going to see some or some barriers to worship, and then the key to worship. Okay, so Jesus, I pray that you would just speak through me tonight. Holy Spirit, we ask you to have your way in this space. God, I pray that you would show us the key to, or to robust, authentic biblical worship, and also show us how we can get over some barriers to authentic worship. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to pick it up in verse 4, and we're going to see three, or three barriers to worshiping Jesus with everything we have, okay? So, and he had to pass through Samaria, so talking about Jesus, and he came to a town of Samaria, or Samaria called Sychar, and it was near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which was noon, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. The point I just made. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, then you would have asked him, and he would have given you, given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw, or to draw water with, and the well is deep. And where do you get that? that kind of water, that living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will, or will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water again. Okay, so she's just worried about not having to come back to the well. Okay, she doesn't really get what Jesus is saying, but we'll talk about that. Okay, so first barrier here, the first barrier to worship is drawing from the wrong wells. Okay, so like when you come here on Tuesday nights, I want you to really be practical throughout this message. There are different, are different barriers to you encountering Jesus in worship, and one of them is drawing from the wrong well. And what do I mean by that? For this woman, she failed to realize that she had a spiritual need. Instead, she spent all of her time trying to fill her physical needs. And to meet those needs, she came and drew from this physical well. There's nothing wrong with drawing from a physical well. We need to drink water, right? But Jesus, knowing the heart 
or the heart of the woman told her that she needed living water. She needed something more than just getting her physical needs met. Jesus knew that the water of this world is just going to lead us to thirst again. If we want to, or to never thirst again, we need living water that is going to well up to eternal life. We need the Holy Spirit of God to come into our hearts and take up residence there. In John chapter 7, Jesus talks about this again. It says this, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, because whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And now this he said about the Spirit, whom he had, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Instead of seeking this kind of water from the Holy Spirit, we often seek our satisfaction from other wells. In our, in our Western culture, we have, have so many wells to choose from to try to draw our satisfaction. I want to give you three of them, okay? There's a ton more, okay? But three wrong wells, and this comes from that book I talked about earlier. The first one is this. We try to get our satisfaction from comfort and from money. Oftentimes, we try to satisfy ourselves with money and comfort. We want more and more of it. We think if I just have enough money in the bank, then I will be satisfied. I'll be comfortable. I'll never have to worry about anything. Or we think, hey, if I can get comfortable enough in my life and just kind of have everything I need, then, hey, life's going to be good. But the problem with both of these things is, first of all, our money can go away. Like something can happen. Something tragic can happen that takes all of our money away. So that never really gives us contentment and peace. And also comfort. If you get too much comfort, you get lazy. That's just the reality. And laziness leads to discontentment. Like if you're never pushed outside your comfort zone, that's a pretty boring life. And it leads to this deep dissatisfaction. Okay, so that's the first wall we try to draw from. The second one is sex and relationships. And you're like, are you really talking about this again three weeks after the dating series? Yes, I am, because you need to hear it. And I need to hear it. Something we try to satisfy ourselves with is our relationships and sex. We think if we can just find the one, especially college students, if we can just find the one, then I'll be happy. Like girls are like, I just need Prince Charming to come up on a horse and be a strapping lad like Josh Hans. If you haven't met him, he's in the back. He's buff. Um, And if I get that great guy, then life's going to be good. And guys are like, hey, if I can just get a girl who cooks for me, who takes care of everything, I can just come home and and put my feet up on the coffee table at night and things will be good. But the reality is, is people get old and they get wrinkly. People get irritating. Even if you find that perfect person, they're going to annoy the crap out of you at some point. I promise. People make crummy gods. We can't put that weight on someone else to fulfill all of our deepest needs. I'm not saying that Emily is old or wrinkly or annoying. Like she's the exception, but all right. So third thing is respect and success. The third well we try to satisfy ourselves with is respect and success. Like this is my big thing. I want approval from people. I want acceptance, but this is also fleeting. Even if we do get approval from man, it will probably become pride as people adore us, right? And pride leads to our downfall, at least to our demise. And we'll never be able to get enough approval to be content if we don't have approval from God. The approval we need is from Jesus to say to us at the end of our lives, or to say, well done, 
good and faithful servant. That's what we need. That's what we need in our hearts as human beings is the approval of the King of kings and Lord of lords. The point is we draw from the wrong places for our satisfaction, and none of these things will satisfy you. None. It doesn't matter how much money you get. It doesn't matter how much sex you have. It doesn't matter how much uh, success you have. It doesn't matter how much you get. You'll keep coming back for more and leave unsatisfied. So, guys, when we come into this place and try to worship, but we're seeking out these different wells to satisfy us, it's very difficult to worship. It's very difficult to give Jesus the praise he deserves because we've been giving it to the wrong places all week long. It's very difficult to flip a switch and be like, okay, now I'm going to worship Jesus, although I've been worshiping sex and money and comfort and all these other things all week long. So if we want to have our worship be more robust and biblical and authentic, we need to remove these wrong wells. We need to draw from the well of Jesus for our satisfaction, from the Holy Spirit, from this place called, from what Jesus says is living water, right? We need to get our satisfaction from there. Have you heard of Jim Carrey? Is he still famous? Do people, okay, like four of you. Okay, do you know Jim Carrey? Okay, thank you. I, I hope I'm not that old. Okay, so Jim Carrey and Adam Sandler were my dad's two favorite actors. And we watched so much Jim Carrey growing up and so much Adam Sandler, like Big Daddy, Click. I don't know why I'm talking about Adam Sandler. Point is Jim Carrey is who we're talking about. But, you know, he had like, The Mask and, and more recently Yes Man. I think like, some of these movies are probably, are probably inappropriate but The Truman Show, Bruce Almighty, Cable Guy, okay, point is, I watched all these movies growing up, and Jim has achieved the, the American dream, right? Like, he has a lot of money, probably has a lot of girls, he's got success, all those things, and sometimes I look at a guy like Jim, and I think, man, he has everything. What would it be like to be him? But a few years ago, I came across a quote by him, and it put things in perspective for me. He said this, if you have it up on the screen, he said, I think everybody should... Or should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that's not the answer. He's been there and he knows it's not the answer, okay? So oftentimes, we seek from the wrong wells for our satisfaction. We think it's going to lead to something, just you know, tremendous joy and peace in our hearts, but the world will not be able to satisfy you. And if you want to be able to worship Jesus, you have to get that he is your only source of satisfaction. That boy is not going to satisfy you. That money is not going to satisfy you. Only Jesus. All right, so there's more barriers, though. Okay, so we're going to read the next couple verses here. And then Jesus says to her, go and, and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And then Jesus said to her, uh, yes, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. Calling her out. In love, though, like Jesus looked at her with so much love. And the one you have now is not your husband, and what you have said is true. And the woman said to her, holy crap, you're a prophet. You just read my mail, right? She's like, this guy knows what he's talking about. Okay, barrier number two, unconfessed sin. That's the second thing that prevents us from truly engaging in, in wholehearted worship, whether in song or with our lifestyles. This woman... This woman was not only trying to draw from the wrong well, but she had sin in her life that was preventing her from having intimacy with God. And Jesus, seeing that sin, because he's God, right? He sees the sin. He loved her so much that he was willing to draw it out of her because he knew that confession is the pathway to forgiveness and the pathway to freedom, okay? So he's trying to draw that sin out of her and get her to confess it. He says, I know that you've had five husbands, and I know that you're with a man who's 
or who's not your husband. I see that. I see your sin. I know your struggle, but I still love you enough to give you the opportunity to drink from the well of living water. And we often make the same mistake as this woman. We have sin in our life, right? And we try to hide it from God. We try to figure it out on our own. We're like, hey, the next husband will hopefully work. She had well, like five and a half, right? And we just keep trying on our own. Instead of running to God right away and confessing our sin to him, we try to minimize our sin or figure it out on our own or hide from him. Here's the reality. You cannot hide from God. It doesn't matter how long you wait. You can't hide from God. Like some of us sin, we're like, okay, I did that bad thing. If I just wait for a week, I can go back to Chi Alpha and have the feels during worship and see my friends, and then God will just forget about the sin. And we never confess it. We just leave it there. And we just leave it in the past and hope that God will forget about it. But the pathway to true worship, the pathway to having intimacy with God is we need to bring that stuff to the light. So when you see the darkness in your heart, when you see your sin, you need to bring it straight to the King of Kings. Because Hebrews says that Jesus is a great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Okay, so we can bring our sin to him and confess it to him and find freedom as we come face to face with a God who is holy and just, but at the same time is so loving that he sent his own son to pay the penalty for our sin. And because of that, he can forgive us in that moment. He can look at us and say, I see your sin, but I still love you and I'm going to forgive you because of what Jesus did. And when you get the gospel, because that's the gospel, right? And when you get that in your bones, when you know that it doesn't matter how well I perform this week, but it's because of what Jesus did, and I'm going to bring that to him and bring this into him. Guys, when you get that inside of you, that leads to robust worship. Because we know, wow, we're sinners, but God loves us so much. And he gave it all for us. And he is providing a pathway to forgiveness. I, I vividly remember the first time I confessed my pornography addiction. At fall retreat, my freshman year. I felt grief over, or grief over my sin. I felt so much grief. I was weeping, but I also felt this joy as it felt like these chains were being broken off of me as, they, as I was able to bring that to the light and see that the Father still loved me. Guys, tonight you need to confess some sin. There's some sin that is preventing you from really worshiping Jesus, and you know what it is. Bring it to your small repeater. Bring it to a friend. Confess it. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Jesus does not want us to hide in the dark with our sin and keep it hidden and try to figure it out on our own. He wants us to bring it to the light, to bring it to him, experience his forgiveness, and bring it to community. And in that space, we will be a community who worships with everything we have, okay? The third barrier is from verses 20 through 22. This is the last barrier, Okay. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in, Jer in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, because you worship what you do not know, but, or but we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Barrier number three, ignorance. The woman drew attention to the fact that she worshiped at that she worshiped at a different mountain than Jesus did. And Jesus responds by making the point that the location of your worship is not the point. There's nothing special about laying auditorium. I don't know if you knew that, but this isn't like a temple. Okay, you thought it was? Okay, I'm trying to be funny because you guys are all tired. It's not funny. Okay, point is, 
<laughs> He's making the important point that it's not about the location of your worship. He is, or Jesus was bringing in a new age where you could worship God anywhere through the Holy Spirit, which was not true before. It's not about where you worship, but it's about who you're worshiping. And the Samaritans were missing it because they didn't really know God for all he was. They had kind of twisted the scriptures. They had tainted it. They had kind of, they kind of mixed it in with, their, with the idols and gods of the foreign nations that they had intermarried with. And that's what we have in America today. All around us, people are trying to take Christianity and mix it in with other stuff. Right? Have you seen that? Like, people want to be a Christian because, you know, Jesus is cool, but then they mix in whatever they want on the side. Like, ah, I don't really like that part about self-denial. No, I don't like that. So let's just kind of push that out. I'd rather just have it be all about me fulfilling my dreams. Right? But the reality is, if we're worshiping, like, some sanitized God that we've created in our own image, it's not going to be good worship, right? Because you're singing to a false God. You're not singing to Jesus. You're singing to some other God you created in your own head. We all struggle with this. In the West, specifically, in America, in Europe, in the West, if you know what that means, we struggle with this idea of a God who would judge sin. So to fit with our culture, we minimize the fact that God is holy and just and that he will judge the living and the dead. We don't really talk about hell. We just talk about heaven, which I don't talk about hell a lot. I'd rather focus on heaven, but we don't talk about hell at all, really. And we gloss over the passages that show, that show Jesus flipping over tables and being angry. We're like, that's not Jesus. That's some, like, that doesn't fit the fairy dust Jesus that I was told about. He sprinkles dust on everybody. Be happy. You know, Jesus got angry. He flipped over tables when he saw people pursuing false gods, and he saw religious people specifically twisting the scriptures. And in Revelation, it says that Jesus is going to return with a sword. He's going to have blood on, his, or blood on his robe. He's going to judge people. That doesn't really fit with what we've been told, but that's the reality. And what I'm trying to tell you tonight is not to, hey, let's get excited that God's going to judge people. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is when you really get a picture of who this God is that can't be put in a box, put in a Western box, like when you get a picture of this God that is bigger than our culture and bigger than our understanding, it stirs up worship inside of you because you're like, holy moly, this God is way different than what I was sold growing up. He doesn't just fit with my culture. He doesn't just bend to whatever I want, but he is a God who I can't control. He's a God out of my box that I want to create for him. That stirs up worship. It's hard to grapple with these passages that talk about God, or God judging people, but it reveals who he is. He is so holy. He is holy. He's different than you. In the Old Testament, they had to do all these rituals and, and cleanse themselves and go through all this stuff because they didn't have Jesus to cover their sin, and God wanted to be in the camp with them. He wanted to be present with them, but the only way for that to happen is they needed to have their their sin atoned for. They needed to be clean. So they had to go through all this stuff. And if they didn't do all the things that God said they needed to do to be in his presence, then they would be smited dead because God is so holy. It's not that he's killing them, but he's just so holy. They could not stand in his presence. God is holy. He is just. He has standards for how we're supposed to live. But the beautiful thing is it doesn't stop there. He doesn't just have standards and say, you're all screwed, for lack of a better word. But he says, I'm going to keep my standards. I'm still going to be who I am, but I'm going to send my own son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for your sins and stand in your place and pay it all for you 
So if you put your faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven. God is just, but he's loving. And on the cross, we see that so beautifully as we see the love of God as Jesus spreads out his arms and bears the weight of the sin of the world. But God still executes justice. God is just and God is loving. We need to get the whole picture of who God is if we want to worship well. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. In Creature of the Word, it says this. It says, it says, worship flourishes when people know this. When we, or when we know who we are and we know who he is, and then we stare into the massive, terrifying gap that Jesus has filled with his blood-bought grace and forgiveness. When you sense that gap between you and God. Like you really grapple with it. And you're like, hey, if I was an Israelite in the Old Testament, I'd be smited dead because I did something real bad earlier. And you grapple with that. But then at the same time, you know that Jesus stood in your place. He took the stone, so to speak. You know, it talks about stoning people in the Old Testament. Jesus on the cross, he's standing in the way of the stone saying, I'm not gonna let my people bear that punishment. I will bear it for them. And when you grapple with that, when you understand the ferocious love of God that stirs up worship inside of you. You realize, oh, I'm a wretched, sinful man. Depart from me, God. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your grace. We need to get God in his fullness. And that's why I believe in reading the scriptures every single year all the way through because we need the whole Bible. We need the whole God. We need the whole gospel. I pray that we would be a community that's not ignorant and doesn't just buy whatever our our culture sells us, but instead we say, I want to know the real God, the God of the Bible. And when we bow before that king, I'm telling you, worship is going to be raised to the roof in this place. I just believe it. The temperature is going to go up. All right, when sin becomes bitter, okay, Thomas Merton, I forgot to share this quote, and it's just good, so I'm just going to share it. It's when sin becomes bitter, then Christ becomes sweet. That's the point I'm trying to make with this talk about God being just. We need to know the bitterness of sin and the holiness of God so we can truly taste the magnitude of his grace. All right, verse 23 through 26. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Oh, man, wouldn't that be cool? Holy crap. Like, they've been, sorry if they crap like five times. I'm just tired. But point is, I shouldn't say it during a sermon. Jesus, forgive me. See, sin, I would be stoned right now. I'm kidding. You wouldn't stone me for that. All right, <laughs> side note. We're going we're gonna to put that aside over here. I have to do that sometimes. We're going to set it down. Boom. Okay, I'm coming back over here. All right. So she's sitting there, and she's like, we've been waiting for the Messiah for hundreds of years, thousands of years. And she's like, and then Jesus is like, I am he. Think about that. Think about this woman, sinful. Five husbands, the worst of the worst. And the Messiah thought that, thought that she was worth sitting next to that day and, and engaging in conversation. That should give you great hope. We think about this idea that God is just, okay? And it's true, and he's holy. But our God is also very loving. He'll engage the worst of the worst if they're willing to repent and turn from their ways. So tonight, maybe you come in here and you have a struggle or a sin and you're just feeling real guilty and convicted. I pray that you would see Jesus looking at you tonight and saying, 
I am he, I'm the Messiah, and I'm here to give you living water. All right, that was a side note. The pathway to robust worship is worshiping in spirit and in truth. Jesus says that true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth is the pathway to true, biblical, authentic, robust worship. If we can worship in spirit and truth, I promise you we're going to bring heaven to earth in our worship, in our times of worship, as we're worshiping in spirit and truth. So what does that look like to worship in spirit and truth? Well, let's take them both in turn. Worshiping in spirit, when Jesus says to worship in spirit, he's saying, saying we need to worship with our whole hearts. When we worship, we need to make sure that our hearts are inflamed with love for him. And we need to express our love for God and give it all for him. Our worship should include our feelings, right? Feelings are part of you. It's part of who you are. We have emotions and feelings. Our feelings should be engaged during worship. In the Greek, the word for spirit is pneuma. Pneuma is actually the word used for the Holy Spirit as well. And we know that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who comes in and kind of wakes our hearts up when we come to faith in Christ. He's the one who does that. He changes us. And he also empowers us to carry out the mission that God has given us. And the word pneuma is also used for wind or for breath. So it's this idea of like this wind coming across the room. And it's the word for our human spirit, where our soul is, where we feel, where we decide, where we think. With all that in mind, when Jesus uses this word spirit, he's talking about our hearts and our emotions. He's talking about our vitality, our life, our energy. He's saying, don't just go through the motions in your worship. Don't just recite a few words, but give God your love. Pour it out for him. Guys, we have to refuse to passively worship God. But instead, we need to worship him with our whole hearts because we're emotional creatures, right? We're emotional. We cry a lot. Why cry a lot? Some of you cry a lot, right? Some of you don't and need to cry a little bit more. But the point is, we need to engage our emotions in worship. We also need to engage the Holy Spirit. We need to operate in spiritual gifts. If you have a prayer language, pray in your, or pray in your prayer language during times of worship. Ask the Spirit to move and let the Holy Spirit energize our worship. Okay, the second part is truth. And so we don't only engage our heart. It's not just about jumping around, woo, yeah, worship, which sometimes looks like that's what we're doing. But it's not just getting pumped. We're not trying to have a rager here, whatever they call those things these days, but fist bumping. <laughs> we have to engage our minds as well. We have to be or just like I talked about ignorance, we have to know who God is. We have to think about who God is. We have to behold Jesus as I talked about in week one. And we have to allow the scriptures to inform our worship. So when Jesus is saying to worship in truth, he's saying you better worship not with just an inflamed heart, but with informed minds. He's saying we must worship the real God. We must meditate on truths about him as we worship. And that's why we're careful about the songs we sing on Tuesday nights. All right, we don't just sing dancing, 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 woo, because that's not about God, right? There's some songs out there that are worship songs that sound like it's about a boyfriend or it's just for like a mosh pit or something. I don't know. But we're trying to sing songs that have gospel lyrics in them, right? About Jesus, about the gospel, about what he did on the cross. We're trying to do that. Sometimes we probably fall short because modern worship isn't always the best with the lyrics, to be honest. That's why sometimes it's good to go read a hymn book and sing a hymn book or sing a hymn. 
because they had way better lyrics back then about you know, Jesus and the gospel. But during worship, we need to meditate on Scripture. We need to think about Jesus. We need to engage our, our minds. And we must make sure that, that we're worshiping the God of the Bible. Within the church, we often either fall into worshiping all in spirit or in truth, okay? So some of you grew up in a church, like you come in, nobody talks really. You're like, okay, now it's time for the hymn book. Jesus loves me. You just like read a hymn book, right? Okay, so that's more truth. And then there's others who like, like you don't know if you're at a nightclub or you're at a youth group, but you're just going crazy and there's chicks around. So you're like, yeah. You're not sure what's happening. Okay, and that's more of the spirit, right? More of the emotions. But the hope, I'm not saying we want to be like a nightclub, but the hope is that our hearts would be engaged, our hearts would be inflamed, and our minds would be informed as we're worshiping, and that there would be this combustion that happens on Tuesday nights where we're worshiping in spirit and in truth. That's our hope. Okay, so the main idea tonight is this. If we want our worship to be all that God intends it to be, we need to worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth, baby. Come on, get it in your bones. Spirit and truth, spirit and truth. Every time you come in here on Tuesday night, say, I'm worshiping in spirit and in truth. That's the key. That is the key. If you want to get one thing out of this series, that's the key. Like, if we want, to, if we want the temperature of our worship to be raised, we need to worship in spirit and in truth. Each of you came here tonight at different places in your journey, and, and some of you, and probably, or probably most of you by you know, kind of judging the crowd tonight. You came in here and you're already a Christian. If that's you. You probably fall more into either spirit or truth. I think a lot of you are probably spirit people. It's because we attract those kind of people here. And you get into it in worship. Like you love getting the feels. Like, ooh, those goosebumps on Reckless Love on the bridge. And sometimes when they do How He Loves and Reckless Love together and then the hair starts standing up on the back of my neck, mmm, that's good. Like, you love those times. You love getting the feels. But here's the reality. If your faith is all about the feels, you're not going to last. If it's all about these mountaintop experiences, getting goosebumps, you're not going to last. Because at some point, you're going to have heard reckless love about a thousand times. And you ain't going to have the hair be raising up on your neck. Be like, can we change the channel on this song? Change the song. This, the song stinks now. <laughs> the point is, I've been around for a while, and I've heard all the songs a lot. Because I listen to them all like 30 times when the first day it comes out. There's going to come a time where you can't just lean on your emotions all the time in worship. You can't just lean on your emotions and your faith. And it's got to go deeper than that. You've got to be truth people. you got to be people who say every morning, first thing I do is read the scriptures because this is truth and it tells me about who God is and I don't just want my emotions to be engaged, but I want my mind to be informed. I pray for you spirit people out there, you get a little bit of truth in your bones. For you truth people, like some of you are truth people, you're like, I don't like dancing thing in Chi Alpha. I don't like the raising the hands. Like, this is God we're talking about. We need to be serious here. And, you're, and, and most of the time for truth people, the reason why you don't engage your emotions as much is not because you have anything against your emotions, but it's more because you're afraid of faking it. You're afraid of being, being manipulated or just kind of having some experience or getting the feels but not actually in, encountering the real God. I want to encourage you tonight to lighten up, for lack of a better word. Lighten up. God has grace. And sometimes you might be faking it a little bit. Sometimes I'm not always into it when I'm worshiping. I'm just like doing it anyways because you know, Jesus deserves that praise. It's okay. 
It's okay if you might be faking it just a little bit. God gives you grace in that. But the thing is, as we consistently come and say, I'm going to engage in worship with my heart, not just with my mind, there comes a point where it becomes genuine. Okay? So sometimes you just have to be obedient and say, I'm going to lift my hands tonight. I'm going to you know, really sing out tonight. I'm really going to engage God. Because here's the reality. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. He deserves your worship. He deserves your heart. Okay, so it's not about how your feeling is. You know, that's what the whole gospel is. It's not about you at all. It's about Jesus and what he did. Do you think you get into heaven because of what you did? No, we all stink. Let's be honest. We get into heaven because of the king who stretched out his arms and said, I'm going to give it all for them. When God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. And that's the only way we're able to stand before God. So truth, people, lighten up a little bit and let the gospel get inside of you and excite you a little bit and get into it and worship. Don't be so afraid of missing it. Or maybe you came in here tonight and you're either not a Christian or you are kind of a Christian, but you're not living it out. I want to encourage you, as we talked about earlier, to consider our story tonight. To, or just as I talked about, there's that moment where you know, Jesus is looking into her eyes and offering her living water. I want you right now to picture yourself as that woman and Jesus engaging you and saying, I have living water for you. And I want you to consider taking Jesus up on his offer today and to stop pursuing the wrong wells. Stop pursuing the wrong wells. They're going to come up short. Instead, pursue the only one who can satisfy, and that is Jesus. 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 If you never know what to say in worship, just say Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy you. All right. If you would stand, we're going to close all right two ways to respond tonight okay so bow your heads close your eyes you know the drill if you've been here the first way is this if you came in tonight and either one you're not a christian and you want to put your faith in jesus for the first time or you've been a christian or kind of been in the church but you walked away from that and you want to recommit your life to jesus tonight i want to give you a chance to do that and the way we do it here at kyle is very simple i just count to three and then you raise your hand and we do that to signal to God that we're serious about putting our faith in him. Okay, so if that's you, raise your hand on one, two, three. Slip them up. I see that hand. I see that hand. Is there anyone else tonight? All right, you put your hands down. I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. And pray in your heart. Just say, Jesus, give me living water. That's all you need to say in your heart. Jesus, give me living water. Jesus, I trust you. Okay, so Jesus, we pray that we ask you to give us living water tonight. God, we ask you to save us. We ask you to forgive us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to take up residence in our hearts tonight. All right. And the second way to respond is this. You came tonight, and in either one, you haven't been worshiping with your whole being, like in spirit and in engaging your heart, or you haven't been worshiping in truth. You've just been kind of mindlessly dancing around on Tuesday nights. I want to encourage you to ask God to help you in the area where you struggle. And the way we're going to do that is that I just want you to lift up your hands, all right? So I'll lift up our hands, actually, okay? So every one of us, let's just ask God. Say, God, help us to worship in both spirit and truth. We want to be true worshipers. So God, we ask you for that. We ask you, help us to be worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. God, help us to worship you for all you are. God, I pray that as the heart of this series has been, that you would raise the temperature of our worship. God, I pray that we would fully engage you in worship and give you the praise you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.